Hello, and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Ellen. And my name is Anna. And in today's episode, we're discussing Book 5, Chapter 3, The Muster of Rohan, Exploring Partnership in Community. Ellen, since we're discussing partnership today, Mm -hmm. I thought I might ask you, when you think of the word partnership... Who comes to mind? Like, famous partners. Mmm. Rogers and Hammerstein. Mm. Hammerstein. Mm-hmm. Hammerstein? Rogers and Hammerstein. Right. Uh, is the partnership that I think of. Mm-hmm. Why? Who do you think of? For whatever reason, today, uh, I thought of <laughs> Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Oh, of course. From Toy Story, uh, from Disney Pixar's Toy Story. So for whatever reason, I wouldn't say that that would be a typical partnership that would come to mind, but that's what that's what's percolating for me today. I like it because it's the enemies to friends mm-hmm. partnership trope. Absolutely. Like in different romance novels, they have the different tropes like marriage of convenience or enemies to lovers. Mm-hmm. And I, now I want to apply that also to partnerships. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I'm glad that you asked this question because I want readers to be thinking of partnerships that they they admire and that may or may not tie into this episode's action item. Ooh, unplanned coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's say that it's planned and so everyone can be really impressed with how organized our episodes are wow we are incredibly stellar at coordinating (laughs) it's true can confirm yes this is a full-time position for both of us Mm -hmm. and so thusly you're seeing the products of that labor we're just such excellent partners oh there it is okay great well i think that then is is a good lead-in to who or what partnership might be notable for today's story. Ellen, what did you have for us? Well, the partnership that I have most frequently been a part of is what we're going to talk about today, and that is the the part of playing piano as an accompanist to somebody singing. Mm, Very good. Yes, it is very good, isn't it? I did this a lot in high school, mainly as part of a larger band, but also very frequently one-on-one, where it's just me playing the piano and somebody singing, normally for either our annual talent show, singing competition, something along those lines. With any successful partnership, partnering with a singer as their accompanist requires a lot of trust. Uh, As the pianist, you need to be able to follow along to their pace, be ready for any dramatic pauses that they're going to take, and make a lot of really meaningful eye contact with the singer so we know when to come in and what we're going to do next. And just, you, you have to have that baseline of trust. In my most successful pairings with the singer, the singer and I were friends with each other and we had goodwill, friendship between us, etc., In my least successful partnerships, it was always with someone that I either didn't like or who I felt obligated to accompany but wasn't super enthusiastic about playing for. One of my best friends in high school 
had a really great alto voice. And because it was the 2000s, we did a Demi Lovato song together. The piano part was really easy. It was expressive, fun to play. And we just had a great time practicing together and eventually performing. The next semester, my choir teacher pulled me aside and said that he had a student who wanted to sing that same Demi Lovato song. Again, it was the 2000s. And would I please accompany her? This is Skyscraper, I assume? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I remember there was a frequency of this song at I feel like every talent show and every... And it reminds me of that Gilmore Girls episode where the two Poes both read The Raven. Yes. And so the announcer's like, this will give us a good opportunity to compare and contrast compare readings. And that is um, what oh, God. Skyscraper was, what um, Adele and Adele's Adele turning 19. tables. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Those, okay. They just really made the rounds there for a while. And it was very convenient to me as someone who didn't need to learn new sheet music, but I'm sure it became it became quite tiresome to those attending the events. Well, and I will say just as a footnote and a shout out to female altos, like there isn't a lot of music that was written in that range. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like for there also to be popular music that was in that range was so notable, (laughs) right? That it just became like, this is the go-to song. People will know it and it's exciting because otherwise you're usually relegated to harmonizing in Mm -hmm. the back somewhere. Um, But anyway, please continue. (laughs) Yes, so once again, I was called upon to play Skyscraper, and this was at the behest of my choir teacher, and it was really more of a direction than a request. And I liked him, so I agreed to, to accompany this, this student that I didn't really know. She was in a younger grade than me, she wasn't in show choir, we hadn't really crossed paths before, but I agreed to come in before school multiple mornings to practice with her before the talent show. And she was not very kind. And she treated me more like a CD track instead of a live pianist, which in addition to just being insufferable, really doesn't work when you're singing with an accompanist. She loved to slow down or then speed up throughout the song and frequently missed her cue to come in because she never really mastered the eye contact part of playing with an accompanist. And rather than feeling like we were in some sort of musical partnership, the end result was more like me chasing after her, trying frantically to keep up and anticipate her random changes of pace. Nevertheless, we persisted and did plot our way through her final performance at the talent show. She didn't win, and I refrained from grimacing on stage, and overall, we made it through. So that's my story of positive and perhaps negative partnerships from my past. I feel like this is also really quite amusing to me because you're you have really expressive eyes <laughs> when you have <laughs> certain thoughts, mm-hmm. opinions, um, either that you may refrain from speaking aloud or that maybe are, um, they precede the statements aloud. Mm-hmm. So just the idea that the eye contact in particular was something that she hadn't mastered feels like, but did she look at you like one time? <laughs> she, she just <laughs> wouldn't look at me. you're not very subtle. <laughs> she just wouldn't look at me. 
and I she the the first the skies are crying or whatever that mm-hmm. first line is she just could mm-hmm. never enter at the correct speed of the song and it mm-hmm. from from that point it was always like are we gonna slow down are we gonna speed up she's gonna wait for me to go even though the singer comes in first I mean Mm-hmm. And I was not demure in my distaste when speaking with my friends about this. And so everyone applauded me very loudly at the end for having having endured the mortification of accompanying somebody in a, in a less than ideal partnership. But mm-hmm. we all made it through. Nobody died. Well, and I wonder, too, I, that makes me think more broadly about partnership, right? Where when someone enters into a partnership without really understanding what partnership means, mm-hmm. right? It probably didn't feel particularly successful on her end either. Um, and so somewhere in the middle lay this actual, um, like, trust building and communication need for you both to get what you needed from that relationship, right? Like, this is a very outcome-based <laughs> pairing the two of you had. And I kind of wonder, like, if it was... If it, like, what was her purpose in asking, or was this like a teacher intervening saying, I think this would be a good experience for you? But ultimately, if her experience would have been better replicated with, or um, would have been a better experience for her using truly just like a CD track, right? You, you would never, though. I mean, I don't remember anybody coming up. It was like, doing that meant that you didn't know anybody who knew how to play the piano it's like wow right you, you don't even have a pianist friend like uh, embarrassing nobody went up and sang with the cd everyone used an accompanist that's so funny i just i think that's such an interesting because like was it her that initiated this you know search for a pianist what was the teacher's role in this because to come in with such unequal expectations right mm-hmm. of what that relationship looks like is often where we see like the most tension in i don't know in like a work dynamic too in um just a lot of relationships that struggle it's often that there's this mismatch of what everybody is looking for from that relationship and then whether or not you can kind of navigate or communicate your way through to you know resolve some of those tensions or if it's just like nope we're kind of rooted in this is how we're both coming to the table and because it's a short-lived thing that's how we're leaving the table as well yeah and I wasn't at my most flexible in high school Mm. So I don't mm-hmm. think I really came to this partnership with an open heart. I think right. I came to it being like, oh, I have to accompany an underclassman at the talent show. <laughs> <laughs> Would be my approximate right. mood. <laughs> yeah, a, pro- a, a, a good, I think a fair. <laughs> Can't believe it. <laughs> I'm so cool oh, so and 17. Yeah. <laughs> that is um I think I think that kind of honesty and that self-awareness though is really critical for a partnership, right? Like if you had to come back to that moment knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. I think some of those skills and some of those practices could have arrived at a different outcome even if the individual themselves is still a bit immovable and mm-hmm. it, and could be more of a partnership in particular because you see like leadership by example, it then becomes easier for the other person in this partnership, really partnership of convenience though, 
to say, oh, okay, I see that, you know, she's bending a little bit or she's giving me the why this is important for me to understand this mm-hmm. instead of just rolling her eyes at me. I assume I wasn't there, right? <laughs> no, like, there's right. no reason to believe that. <laughs> a lot of grumbling. <laughs> right. But then that would maybe allow her to be like, oh, I'm kind of nervous about this. I've never worked with this before and kind of admit that there's some lack of experience, mm-hmm. right? Which can feel can feel vulnerable. But I think that those things have to be present in a partnership to be successful because to your point, otherwise you kind of end up in this situation of like, you know, the thing gets done mm-hmm. and it, it it's only so good and each person walks away from it going like yeah i guess we did it we did it no one died to your point no one died of embarrassment or otherwise right but yeah that was that was our last time singing together i that um is believable (laughs) so that's that's my story on on partnership and i'm glad you were able to inject a little bit of meaning and also humor into the situation because looking back it was very funny um (laughs) so i i'm i'm glad you you saw the humor in that too but we did see a lot of examples of partnership in this chapter and before we can get there we need to just talk about what happened are you prepared to give us a synopsis of the goings on from this past chapter I am prepared, although I'm looking at my notes and I feel like my phone auto-corrected some of the words. So that'll well, there be... There were 7 million new proper nouns in this one. I'm like, wait, where <laughs> yes. are we? What are we doing? What's Who is happening? This? Um, so we will uh, we will try to use our context clues and story lord our way through what my notes now I say. I had to look up a map visually and I'm like, okay... <laughs> Which one's the, there's like the name of the mountain range, then the name of the right. mountain, then the name of the cliff where the fort is, right. then the name of the river going into the mountains, then the name of the river going out of the mountains, and then also like two nicknames for like Mountain of Doom or whatever it is, or, sh- you know, Path of the Dead that aren't, weren't on the map. And I'm like, please, right. Tolkien, paint it in, just bring it back. <laughs> I know, I'm looking at a sentence literally on the first page of my chapter that says, the riders followed it, and suddenly Harrowdell lay before them, loud with the noise of waters in the evening. There the white snowborn, joined by the lesser stream, went rushing, fuming on the stones, down to Edoras, and the green hills, and the plains. Away to the right, at the head of the great dale, the mighty Starkhorn loomed up above its vast buttresses. Like, what? What? Where are we? What are these things? This is like from context. Some of them are water. And I thought that's Snowborn all I know. was the horse, and then I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, because and then because they're oh, there's Snowmane. Snowmane right? is something. the horse. Snowborn. Snowmane is, is the, the river. Horse, is the river probably? <laughs> Starkhorn we think is a peak in the mountain range. Yeah, unclear. But anyway, please synopsis this. But also the events, <laughs> the events that happened. Um, okay, so the muster of Rohan travels for three days. We kind of learn that King Theoden is feeling pretty driven about returning to battle and not just like hanging out, laying behind with his people. And so maybe we get a little bit of insight to Eowyn's motivations from our earlier chapters. 
the muster, my notes read the mayor, thank you autocorrect, get to Harrowdale. And there is a hearty welcome, but some pretty intense tidings, namely that Gandalf had like blown through camp. There was like this really nefarious winged shadow. We don't turn on the lights anymore. And you need to like immediately go to this like secret meeting in the hold. So they arrive, they get all this news. We're kind of getting... Mary's perspective is that there are a bunch of men at the camp, and it seems to Mary that there's sort of an army forming. We realize that Eowyn is also at the camp and passes along the news of Aragorn, and Eomer is just a real downer at this moment, being like, well, we're never going to see him again. He's pretty much dead. So that was a fun little exchange. They have some food and drink and discuss the paths of the dead. As they're sort of drinking and having this conversation, of course, Mary's very excited because he's finally getting fed. A messenger from Gondor arrives and he appears very much like Boromir to Mary, uh, but he gives his name as Hurgon, I believe is how it's said. And basically, this messenger delivers Gondor's call for aid, and Rohan will answer. And so yes. King Theoden is like, yeah, we'll, we'll come meet this need, but a bit more dramatically. And then we get the world falling to shadow. So we've now seen that from Pippin's perspective and from Mary's perspective. Mary elects to go with Theoden to war. But um, instead, my <laughs> notes say with Tizen to eat, <laughs> um, which I'm sure would be preferable to Mary is eating to war. But he wants to go. He's like, I promised myself as your esquire. And so I go where you go. And Theoden basically says, like, Mary, you can come, but only so far because no offense, you're a bit of a burden and I can't have you slowing down any of my other like actual warriors, which I'm sure he delivered as kindly as he could, but still felt a bit diminishing and reductive to Mary's contributions. And so then ultimately, Mary is approached by a nameless sort of waif-like writer from Rohan who offers Mary a seat with him. Who also has expressive eyes. Who also has expressive eyes. And uh, off to battle they go, and that's how our chapter ends. I'm really glad that you were the one to summarize this because I read this chapter once and listened to it twice and it still felt like a fever dream where I just I wasn't (laughs) sure where they were or how much time had passed yes I was like I'm following the dialogue and I understand what's happening but I'm like wait are they at a did they go to two camps is there like a second camp right that they went to yes where is the water where are the rocks what's happening so irrespective of the actual geography, I think some of the things that were a little confusing is that when we first meet Eowyn, she's like in Rohan's capital proper, mm-hmm. right? Now she's in this camp where she has taken all of the people of Rohan yes. from their normal homes. And I feel like that gets kind of like skipped over in the narrative or it's not as clear like why she's there now. So that's one thing. There is a um, sort of general camp because there are so many people there. And then there is like a smaller subset on this cliff away from the paths of the dead because there's such 
pervasive fear. (laughs) Right. It's very spooky. And so that's, I think, where, like, leadership camps. Mm -hmm. Then, as they depart, which I think is Harrowdale, they, or Harrowdale, they scoot their way to, like, another camp, probably closer to the front lines. And that's where um, Theoden had proposed Mary's stay. Because there are still people there that he, he won't be alone. But it's kind of like the last pit stop before they're like on their journey towards Gondor, towards the front lines, towards battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot. It, it was, was a lot. It was a lot. But you summarized it well. So thank you for walking us through all of those wonderful proper nouns. Not a problem. If you asked me, though, where they were at any point, I could not tell you. So I just want to reiterate, I, too, was the confused <laughs> about where we were. Lost. <laughs> um, I also have to say I loved the story of the Paths of the Dead. Oh, my God. And the when messenger he fell on his face. <laughs> dead. The end. It's like, uh, <laughs> what? Wow. So what did he say? Who knows? Dead immediately. Dead. He's dead. dead. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what happened, but I feel like that's a good time for us to start to unpack some of the examples of the theme that you saw. Yes, please. Let us dive into the examples. So that's why we're here, is to glean meaning from the text in a way that is fruitful to our daily lives. First one, page 56. Mm -hmm. So this is the partnership that I'm going to describe is the partnership between Mary and Theoden King, not King Theoden. We, we like to flip things around a little mm-hmm. bit here. It's spicy. And I, I liked, there were two, two quotes specifically that I think encapsulated their partnership in this chapter. First one, page 56. Quote, Sometimes where the way was broader, he, meaning Mary, had ridden by the king's side, not noticing that many of the riders smiled to see the two together. The hobbit on his little shaggy gray pony, and the lord of Rohan on his great white horse. There, he talked to Theoden, telling him about his home and the doings of the Shire folk. And then the other quote is on page 62. I'm lumping these together because it's the same, I think, example of partnership. At the top of page 62, quote, Come, Master Mariadoc, he said. You shall not stand. You shall sit beside me as long as I remain in my own lands and lighten my heart with tales. So these two, I think, are in somewhat of an uneven partnership where the the power is not evenly split between the two. But I do think it is more of a partnership than like a, a slave to a master or something like very unequal where one party has no say in the matter because... Mary chose to serve Theoden and has great love for him, and Theoden obviously has great respect for Mary in return. So in their partnership, it feels like Mary is bringing the practicality of his serving abilities, but also joy, stories, uh, a a bit of lightheartedness, and Theoden is providing some guidance, some care, and some protection. I think that also is a nice parallel to the experience that Pippin is having with Denethor. Mm -hmm. So we have our two lovely hobbits, both in sort of a Esquire-esque relationship with a leader of a 
major Mm -hmm. city, if not country, and we have a very different power dynamic between the two. Denethor so far has been either relatively dismissive or um, pretty demanding. Almost mocking. Right. Very belittling. Very condescending, Mm -hmm. this relationship. Meanwhile, I think Theoden has a bit of that where he's like, oh, haha, you're, you know, you've pledged yourself to me and I'm not quite sure to make of that. But I think he does have respect for Mary's heart and character in a way that Denethor could never. Yeah, I fully agree with that. One more strike against Denethor, the least likable character in the series. Absolutely. Full stop. Absolutely. Well, my next example is on page 57, and it's with Theoden King once again, because he is so heavily featured in this chapter. And this is the, I think, very loving and almost completely equal partnership that he has with his nephew, whom he also is now referring to as his son, which is heartwarming. Quote, But if you would take my counsel, said Aomer in a low voice, you would then return hither until the war is over, lost, or won. Theoden smiled. Nay, my son, for so I will call you. Speak not the soft words of Wormtongue in my old ears. So this is a exchange that you can tell is part of a larger conversation where Aomer has been imploring Theoden to not come to the battle. He's like, you are more important, not here leading your people into war, but instead, you know, staying safe in the back and governing those who remain behind, which is like the common theme of this family. Where is there more glory in the battlefield or, you know, in the parliamentary chamber, blah, blah, blah. But in this one more so than Mary, I feel like Theoden isn't just humoring him kindly. He's listening and still disagreeing but it's a bit more equal yeah i would agree especially because there's that sort of familial son language i think Uh that just imbues the conversation with much more intimacy and respect than i think we see with with his other captains certainly because we don't get much Uh of them and and with mary as well my next example Pages 64 and 65. So this is my favorite example of partnership in the chapter. And it is the partnership between Gondor and Rohan. And the reason I like it so much is because it is predetermined and formally agreed upon. Where everybody has a great expectation of what the other party is expecting them to deliver. And so... This is when Hirgon arrives, errand rider of Denethor, and he brings Theoden a token of war, which is, in a fun dramatic fashion, is a single arrow, black feathered and barbed with steel, with the point painted red. And side note, I'm like, is this arrow hanging somewhere specific? Where it's like, ah, break the emergency glass and pull out the arrow, and we have to take it? Or is it just any arrow? that then has the tip painted red. I don't know. I digress. So Hirogon brings the arrow to Theoden, and Theoden says, quote, The red arrow, said Theoden, holding it as one who receives a summons long expected and yet dreadful when it comes. Um, and he knows 
that this means the Lord Denethor is asking Rohan to come to his aid. And Hirgon on the next page says, quote, My Lord does not issue any command to you. He begs you only to remember old friendship and oaths long spoken, and for your own good to do all that you may. So that's why I like this form of partnership is because we formally agreed upon it. We spoke some oaths. We said, yep, I'll come your way when you flash me that sparkly red arrow. And I got your back. And I like that Theoden also says, you know, dark tidings, yet not at all, or yet not all unguessed. So I think Mm -hmm. Theoden is also kind of aware, maybe in the back of his mind, that this is an eventuality, in part because they have that formal agreement, and in part because he's also pretty accurately reading the severity of concern throughout Middle-earth. And it's the first time that they've needed it, it says in his tenure, quote, the red arrow has not been seen in the mark in all my years. Has it indeed come to that? Which sort of hints that maybe the red arrow had been used before, perhaps the last time we fought Sauron as, oh, come help us out. I'm sure the answer is in the Cimmerillion. We will never know. But yes, I love, I love the formality of this one. I also like to imagine in the string of the multiverse where there is like a break glass in case of emergency and the red arrows behind it, that there's mm-hmm. also like a um, onboarding packet for kings where it's like, and also the red arrow. Step two. <laughs> Do you ever need this? Mm-hmm. Right. Be sure to tell your predecessors where we keep it stored. Right. Okay, so I have two more examples. One's a good one and one isn't. So we'll end with the bad one. I'm excited. Okay, great. (laughs) So on page 70 and 71, we have the wonderful but mysterious partnership with Dernhelm and Mary. So Mary's like, I'm being left behind again. And then the young rider whom he had noticed in the morning comes up to him and says, quote, You wish to go whither the Lord of the Mark goes. I see it in your face. I do, said Mary. Then you shall go with me, said the rider. I will bear you before me, under my cloak, until we are far afield, and this darkness is yet darker. Such goodwill should not be denied. And then Mary hops on, and off they go. I like this partnership. It's a little unsought for on Mary's part, but very much welcome. Dernhelm is offering Mary what he wants, which is to go to war, and Mary provides, I guess to Dernhelm, another sword against the enemy in the Greater War, which seems to be Dernhelm's greatest wish. Right, and it's a little unclear because we mentioned that Dernhelm is lithe in limb and uh, a little less perhaps sturdy than the other soldiers. So do we think that Dernhelm is outreaching because they're aware of those challenges and they wish for Mary in that regard? Or they just believe in the Rohan's contributions and in this battle so profusely that they're like, any sword is worth taking. And then that's how they escape around off to battle. I guess. I mean, should we spoil it? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, like, can you spoil something that's been out in the world for, like, 50 years? I feel like, no. I mean, so, okay, if you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead a minute, and I'll set a timer, um, and we'll stop talking about it at that time. So skip ahead a minute, starting right now. 
So Dernhelm is the Lady Eowyn. Right. And the only reason I think they didn't do this in the movie is because it's so obviously just her with her hair back. Right, right. It's like in Aladdin when she's like, oh, my God, who is this prince coming to see me? And it's like, no, it's it is you. You're just wearing different clothes. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing. Like Dernhelm is just Eowyn. Absent genie magic. Just, we- just yeah, just wearing different clothes. Right, right. <laughs> Classic. Which, um, I I don't know, Mary. I don't know why you can't tell that. She just put her hair up. You've already seen her in battle garb. Why are you confused? And she's wearing a helmet, and that's really it. So like, yeah. okay, maybe part of your face is obscured. Maybe, but the eyes, I mean, expressive eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have seven seconds left. Yeah. All right. And done. Okay, so anyone who skipped ahead, we are now done talking about spoily things. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Okay, my last example is not very good, so I've saved it for last because we very rarely do the worst last. This is perhaps not a partnership. There are a lot of, specifically on pages 55 and 59, a lot of descriptions of nature. So we're talking about the stones and the water and the trees and everything's flowing through and cutting through and growing up beside. The leaping stream run down from from the high pass, cleaving its narrow way between pine-clad walls. And that made me thinking how a lot of nature is in partnership with each other. But I didn't know if we could count it that because there's no really conscious thought or intention. Just mutual, mutual benefit. What do you think of that? I don't know. I think maybe... To the converse, I think it's interesting to watch these very um, human and sentient being partnerships throughout the chapter, and then we see this sort of, like, cleaving of the landscape. So the landscape itself is denoting a separation, a lack of partnership, right? And even though we would say that it's nature isn't a sentient being, so, like, take from that what you will. I I think it is an interesting sort of juxtaposition of partnering, coming together, community, and then these like very auspicious and notable separations, rifts Mm -hmm. in the landscape, in, in the way that these natural elements interact with one another. Yeah, there's, there's harmony, but there's also tension. Mm hmm. There's also tension between some of the different items, mm-hmm. different elements we see. Yeah, and I think that's, a, that's an interesting point because sometimes I think we have a tendency to characterize like partnership as pretty universal, like cohesion. Like we are agreed, this is mm-hmm. what we're doing. And yet we know that a lot of partnerships are really successful when there is a little bit of creative tension because having to work through an idea or a concept often makes it better because you are taking the time to kind of round out your thinking. It's why companies who have uh, diverse workforces tend to do better. It may take a little bit longer to get to an outcome, 
and because there are more voices included along the way, it tends to be a better product. And so I think that's a really important note that like there is some necessary tension in good partnerships because it allows us to just come up with a better thing at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I am rereading one of my favorite books, The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. And uh, in one of the first chapters, there's a quote where he says it's this old Italian proverb. I tried to Google it, didn't find it. So we might have just made that up. Mm. Quote, he who has a partner has a master. And I kind of, I liked that idea of, I think, I think the, it's meant negatively in this situation or the guy can't make a decision on his own because he has to go talk to somebody else. But to your point, I do think there, there is a lot of benefit to that check and balance. Right. And those are all of my examples. Well, those are great. And I think some good considerations about the natural partnerships and the mm-hmm. maybe unlikely partnerships that occurred mm-hmm. through the chapter. Okay, so shall we then transition to a little TWT? Yes, Talking let's. Talking with Tolkien <laughs> for the kids at home. For the youths, the hashtag mm-hmm. TWT. Hashtag TWT. Um, would you like to, would you like to share your quotes? I would love to share my quotes. So there were a couple. One was on my page 90, where Sweet Mary, and we had talked about this in last episode, where Aragorn makes this assessment of Mary that we're not quite sure Mary would make of himself, which is that, like, he's, he's stout of heart and will, you know, do what he will for his friends, even though he may not characterize himself thusly Mm -hmm. and so we see that really actualized here on my page 90 that says quote then tie me onto the back of one or let me hang on a stirrup or something said mary it is a long way to run but run i shall if i cannot ride even if i wear my feet off and arrive weeks too late and this is him professing his sort of commitment to theoden and i just i liked that quote and i liked that demonstration of mary's character yeah that's sweet and i don't mean that in like a oh he's sweet so cute way i mean that in a non-reductive way right thank you mary (laughs) (laughs) right and i think it's um i think it's pretty inspiring to be like look i said i was gonna do this and if i'm gonna do Mm -hmm. this i'm gonna do this all the way you know this isn't uh i turn and turn tail the first moment that it gets difficult And then my other example was on page 93, where um, we get our mysterious Durnhelm saying to Mary, quote, where will wants not, a way opens, so we say. And I just liked that turn of phrase. Yes, they're not quite as pontificating as the Gondorians, Mm -hmm. but the Rohirrim do have their own fun phrases. They do, and they're very... They're, they're a little less um, academic, but still, mm-hmm. I think, deep, which is, it's a nice mix. <laughs> so those are my two examples, or my two, uh, my two quotes. What did you have? Amazing. I also have two quotes. 
And for the first time in a long time, they're not the same as yours. Oh, nice. So the first quote is on page 61. And (laughs) this is Mary, the narrator, telling us about Mary. Quote, in the midst of these gloomy thoughts, he suddenly remembered that he was very hungry. I made a note of that one, too. I was like, I feel seen. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought that was funny. It's like, wow. And in addition, I'm hungry. Oh, yes. Well, let's go address that. And then he goes to find some breakfast. And then my second TWT is on my page 66. Quote, in the morning, counsels are best and night changes many thoughts. And that's a quote from Theoden King. And I fully agree with him that mm-hmm. the morning is the best time to take counsel and that sleeping on things does change your opinion of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wise words. As does uh, anxiously spiraling in bed as you try to rest your mind easy. The, that's usually the least productive time for me to think about Yeah, things. I'm like, I feel like that doesn't change the thought. That just lets you walk around on it for too long. Right, yes. Sleeping, yes. Anxious, list-making, no. Nope, doesn't do it. Oh, good, those are great quotes. Those are great TWTs. (laughs) Okay, so that leaves us then with... Your action item! (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So as we teased at the top of the episode... Today's action item is to think of someone who is in a partnership that you admire, and this should be somebody that you know, not unless you know Rodgers and Hammerstein, not them, or Buzz and Woody, and try to name to yourself what it is specifically that you admire in their partnership. So maybe it's a business partnership that delegates tasks between the people very well, or maybe it's a romantic partnership and you always admire how much each person builds up the other when they're in company. Either way, think of what it is and then tell that person. Wow, Anna, I really admire how you and your dog always split the couch so well during cuddle time. Thank you. We also admire that about ourselves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the point of the exercise is to try to name specifically what you admire because I think that helps you bring those traits into your own self. And then, of course, to give a, a truly felt compliment, which is always a great way to build a relationship. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm excited to think about this. I'm excited to put this into practice. Yeah, I feel like there's always that one couple or that one pair of coworkers. It's like, wow, they just work together so well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for another excellent recording session, Anna. And again, for walking us through all of those, all of those names, I'm ready. Gosh, the chapters are just flying by and this, the pace of the story is really picking up. So I'm excited for us to be able to keep reading and keep going through this book. Yes, there is a lot yet to happen. Hopefully, perhaps less proper nouns and a little Mm -hmm. new proper nouns and a lot more events. Those do seem a bit more um, accessible to me as a reader. Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) 
Today's podcast was brought to you by another collection of many names and unknown number of places, including Fearenfeld, The Snowborn, The Dremoberg, The Haunted Mountain, Dimmelt, and Dunharrow. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Don. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Well, fully artist, only oh Jesus, I didn't mean to hit the microphone. <laughs> Little foley artist, kafunk, <laughs> dead. <laughs> and then, who knows? He fell upon his face and died. He made me think of the guy who guards the bridge in Monty Python, where mm-hmm. he's like, "Answer me, these riddles three. <laughs> That's what I thought of this guy who says, "The way is shut." <laughs> what is your favorite color? <laughs> yes. And then he fell upon his face, dead. Dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quality partnerships.